0: It is my desire to speak to you this morning about the ministry, the Christian ministry of hospitality. And I've entitled this morning's message, Hospitality, a Neglected Essential. Hospitality, a Neglected Essential. It is on January 1st, and we are together here on this first Sunday in January. And January is an interesting month, and January 1st in particular makes it interesting Because this is typically the time when we make resolutions of self-reformation. Probably the most common of which is that we're going to get in shape and lose a few pounds in this coming year. That is undoubtedly the most often made resolution and the one most often broken by February. You know, January, the month January, is actually named after the Roman god Janus. It comes from the Roman god Janus, and the Roman god Janus was portrayed in a most interesting way. He was portrayed as having two faces. And the reason he was portrayed as having two faces was that he was thought to be able to look both into the future and the past simultaneously. And that kind of plays into how we see the month of January. We tend to old lang syne, look back as to what has gone, and look forward to losing a few pounds in what comes uh, before us. So, in keeping with that notion of looking backward and forward, I want to set the stage for our study this morning in the Scriptures by taking a quick look backwards at hospitality in the Christian church. So, Christian histories are replete with statements about the loving display of Christian hospitality in the early centuries of the church. A lack of buildings in which to meet in the early centuries made Christianity a home-based movement, a movement that was often dependent upon itinerant, that is, traveling teachers and preachers, And these teachers and preachers were dependent upon the hospitality of the local congregations that they traveled to in order to minister the Word of God. And so they, being dependent, received their material support and provision, including food and shelter, instant amongst the home-based churches, the home churches that they visited throughout the Roman Empire. Alexander Strzok, in his excellent little book, entitled The Hospitality Commands, writes the following. The first Christians viewed themselves as part of a worldwide brotherhood that transcended all national, racial, and social boundaries. They knew they were a persecuted minority in an intensely hostile world. Their very survival depended on active participation in the family of brothers and sisters. Hospitality, therefore, became one of the most significant practical expressions of this worldwide family of brothers and sisters, and thus became one of the birthmarks of primitive Christianity. Close that quote. Now, As the centuries progressed, Christianity became eventually the established religion of the empire in the 4th century. And when that happened, its pilgrim status was forgotten, and with it, the practice of hospitality waned. We find how much it had waned when we get to the 16th century, that's the 1500s when john calvin is mourning the demise of ancient hospitality and he said and i quote this office of humanity has nearly ceased to be properly observed among men for the ancient hospitality celebrated in histories is unknown to us and inns now supply the place of accommodations for strangers Close quote That's enough looking backwards. Let's look forwards. The word hospitality or hospitable, that Greek word is actually comprised of two Greek words put together. The first word, philos, means loving. The second word, xenos or xenos, depending how you want to pronounce it, means a stranger or a guest. So, the word hospitality or hospitable conveys the idea of a love of strangers or a love of guests. That's what the word means. So, what I've got for you this morning is five sermons crammed into one. So, we're going to have to bail our hay, and we are not going to be able to explore all that I would love to explore with you with regard to this topic. But here's the outline for you it's very simple. I have five statements, Oops. five statements, five statements that help shape our understanding and practice of hospitality, five statements that help shape our understanding and practice of hospitality. Okay, number one, first statement, hospitality is a command, not a gift. Hospitality is a command, not a gift. Newsflash: The spiritual gifts are delineated in three three places. I have trouble with that. Three places in the New Testament. The gift lists. They are found in Romans twelve. They are found in 1 Corinthians twelve, and they are found in First Peter four. Those are the classic gift lists of the New Testament. That's where you go to find the spiritual gifts listed. We're not going to go there this morning. We're not going to take the time to do that. I just try, You can check me. Go on your own and check there. If you go to the gift lists and look at them, you will not find hospitality listed. It is not there. It is not there. And the reason it's not there is because it is not a gift. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. Hospitality is instead a command. It is a command. So open your Bibles. I will demonstrate this to you quickly in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. Romans 12, 13. Contributing to the needs of the saints, comma, practicing Hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now, this word practicing, it is, it, is, uh, it is a present active participle. We'll just tell you that. Okay, In the Greek, it's a present active participle. What does that mean? It means it's conveying the idea of an active, ongoing action. It could... It could be translated, in fact, if, you, if you're using a New American Standard and it's a study Bible with margin notes, you'll find it down there, the idea of pursuing hospitality. I would translate it actively pursuing hospitality. I think that captures the present active participle that is translated here in practicing hospitality. Now, that's not a command. A participle is not a command. But I'm saying it is a command. And the reason I'm telling you that it is a command is because actually to find the command for this passage, the the controlling verb of the passage is found in in chapter 12, verse 2. So we have to go back there to chapter 2. This is the command that then controls everything that rolls out under that, of which actively pursuing hospitality is but one illustration. So here you go, in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's your controlling verb, and it is a command. By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and um, perfect. Good and acceptable and perfect, right? Be transformed. There is your controlling verb, your command verb, present middle imperative, that sets up the rest of chapter 12. In other words, how does the transformation show itself, Paul? And he lists them out. And and all the way to verse 13, the active pursuit of hospitality is the implementation of the command to be transformed in your thinking and proving the will of God, that which is good and perfect. Okay? So the command is in verse 2, the the specific illustration or activity of that command occurs here in verse 13 all right we're going to have to keep moving sorry we can spend more time there but we're not going to we're going next to hebrews chapter 13 all right and that's just going the way it's going to have to be sorry hebrews 13 and i don't feel bad about preaching this because by the time jim gets to this you'll have forgotten everything i've said particularly because he prayed that the Lord would return this year. <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Okay, Jim can, can unsort that for you. But what I'm interested in is the do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Pedal, present middle imperative. It's a command. And if I can say it this way, we can only neglect that which is our duty. That which is our duty is what we can neglect. And we are not to neglect it, the writer says. Keep going to the right. First Peter 4. First Peter 4. Verse 9. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That is not a command. That is is not an imperative. All right? But there is an imperative in the passage that controls this, and it occurs in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of. Prayer, the be of sound judgment, or the English Standard Version translates it, be self-controlled, that is an aorist active imperative. There's your imperative, there's your command that controls the passage, or this section of it at least. So, in verse 9, be hospitable to one another, the command comes out of verse 7. It is the result of a sound judgment, a sober spirit. Notice also, by the way, just while we're here, to one another without complaint. One another speaks of the local body of Christ. So the the command for hospitality, the extension of of oneself to strangers and guests, certainly speaks of those outside of the local body, but it also speaks to those inside the local body, the one another's. So hospitality is to be extended not only to those who are complete strangers, but also to others within the local body. That's us. Okay. The command is to us to extend hospitality to one another. One another. All right. Turn left and go to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul's words to Timothy here. Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul's instructing Timothy how to put the how to put the church in order, basically, until he returns. And he is addressing the issue of the care of widows. And so, verse 9 a widow is to be put on the list. I I'm of the opinion the list had to do with a benevolence role. To care for the widows, so a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than sixty years old, having been the wife of one man, a one woman man or a one man woman, sorry, get that right one man woman. Here's the point, having a reputation for good works and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers. Put her on the list, verse 9. There is your command, present, middle, imperative. Put her on the list, provided she meets the qualifications. One of the qualifications here, verse 10, has shown hospitality to strangers, has loved strangers who are strangers, more literally. Okay? So, another command connected to hospitality. I'll give you one more, same book. Chapter 3, and verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer, then, must be above reproach. Umbrella statement. And now explained: The husband of one wife, a one-woman man, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not addicted to wine or prognacious, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, etc. Interesting. Not a command here. Present active, indicative. Day. It is necessary. Okay. It's, it's often referred to as the divine necessity. In order to, for one to be above reproach, these things must be true of him. And then they're delineated. Hospitable is one of the requirements for an elder. Now, here's the interesting thing. I want you to notice that the responsibility in this passage for hospitality falls on whom? It falls on the man, not on the wife. It falls on the man, not on his wife. What this means is that hospitality is the responsibility of male leadership within his home. It is a measure of what it means to be mature in the Christian faith. In other words, that a man must shepherd his wife to a place to extend hospitality, he must shepherd his children. a place to understand, value, love, and practice hospitality so that this vital and essential character of Christian conduct reveals itself. Here in in 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications that are listed here, the men are qualified or disqualified for leadership in God's church based upon what's within their control. Hospitality is within His control. It. Okay, if I can put a fine point on this, men, it is our responsibility. Hospitality, the hospitable nature of our home, is ours, not our wives. She is called to aid and assist us, but it is our responsibility. Okay, so hospitality is a command, not a gift. That was number one statement. Number two, number two statement hospitality is a call to love others it is a call to love others the new testament exhortations to practice hospitality occur in the context of brotherly love i'm going to turn you right back to the passages we looked at earlier let's go back to romans 12 we're going to move a little near the context to the statement about actively pursuing hospitality in verse 13 i want you to look at verse 9 verse 9 let love be without hypocrisy abhor what is evil cling to what is good Love is the first fruit of a transformed mind. Love is the first fruit of a transformed mind. Then that love begins to, to display itself in having devoted to one another, preference to one another, not lagging behind in diligence, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, being generous, and practicing hospitality. You see? It flows out of the transformed mind. The transformed mind first reveals itself in love. And that shouldn't be too hard to understand, right? Because God is love. And those who are being transformed into the image of His Son are being transformed from one who was turned in on themselves to one who is now outwardly focused, expressing the very love of God that He has shed in them. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, right? We looked at verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Look at verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. Let love of the brethren continue. In other words, that is the overriding plot. How do we let love of the brethren continue? Do not neglect to show hospitality. That's how. That's how. Hospitality is the answer to the appeal to let the love of the brethren continue. 1 Peter 4. We found the command in verse 7, but look at verse 8. Notice again the close context with love. Above all, keep fervent in your what? Love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaints. Okay? Keep fervent, akines, persistent effort, resolve, straining. The picture is like an Olympic athlete in training, pursuing To the fullest extent, what their body is capable of. Okay? We're to strain at this. Now, this kind of love that we're being called to is a a costly love. It is a costly love. In other words, the the biblical expression of hospitality will cost us something. At very minimum, it will increase our food budget. But but believe me, that's the least costly part of it all. But it is costly. It's time-consuming. Probably the most valuable resource we have, right? Our limited time. It is time-consuming. It is fatiguing. It is fatiguing. And it is privacy-denying. Privacy denying. I just want to go home and kick back. But the active pursuit of those who are strangers to us in an expression of hospitality will be costly, time consuming, fatiguing, and privacy denying. Therefore, there is a need to resist the temptation to complain about it, to complain about its costliness that it's burdensome, that, it, that it's occasionally irritating. And so, look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another, notice, without complaint. Gaguzmas, I love that word. All right? It sounds like complaint, gaguzmas, gaguzmas. It means murmuring, grumbling, complaining. Okay? We are to be hospitable to one another, now it's talking about within here, without complaining about each other. Because you know what? Some of us are kind of irritating, off-putting, energy-sucking, and on and on it goes. And I'm I'm sorry that I'm like that. I'm, I'm better than I was. You should have seen me 40 years ago. Hospitality is gospel-driven, not works-produced. This is not a call to a works effort. This is the fruit and outflow of the gospel. Romans five five, Paul writes, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given us. It is not our love to God, but God's love to us through the Holy Spirit that captivates and controls our hearts, changes our orientation, turns us from being bent inward on ourselves to turning and moving outward to others, just like God had toward us when he sent his own son into this world to die for our sin. Hospitality is a command, not a gift. Second, a call to love others. Third, Hospitality is a centerpiece of Christian community. Hospitality, third, is a centerpiece of Christian community. It goes like this. We have been placed into one body by Baptism, spirit, baptism, right? Jesus is the baptizer, the spirit is the medium in which we are baptized, and thus we share the common life of the Spirit. It's a reality that is on display every time we partake of the Lord's table. The classic text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Therefore, the church is a family. We are the family of God. In fact, brother, sister, brethren, those expressions are used 250 times in the New Testament in reference to the believers. We are the brethren. We are brothers in Christ. We are sisters in Christ. Why is it used so much? Because it, it, it communicates the reality of who we are in Christ. We have become a family. And when a church begins to truly understand the profound theological truth of our brotherhood in the Spirit then we cannot help but overflow in love to one another. It's natural. It's unnatural to the unredeemed, but it is natural to the redeemed. And love is... uh, uh, Back up, let me say that. Hospitality is, that's the word I'm looking for, hospitality is a centerpiece of that kind of, of love, of that kind of familial, family love. Let me demonstrate it to you in, in 3 John. So I'll turn you to 3 John. In verse 5. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. And they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. They went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Now I want you to notice there in verse 8, the word support. And again, if you have margin notes, look at your margin note. And you will see that, that... a better, a more lin- literal rendering would be to receive such men as guests. To receive such men as guests. And so if we were to say, read it that way, we would be say, therefore we ought to receive such men as guests so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. In other words, receive them into our homes, right? These are traveling itinerant preachers. Receive them into our home, provide for them, send them out with what they need to continue their ministry. Don't let them rely on the Gentiles to fund it. People of God fund it. Receive them as guests. Now that idea is even more strongly conveyed actually in the New, America, or the New International Version, the NIV. They actually go so far, and it has to do with translation theory and formal equivalents and dynamic equivalents and all of that sort of thing, but, but they render it, show hospitality to such men. They go right there and pin it down. Okay, And that is what's being talked about. Okay? Show hospitality to such men. Why? So that we may be fellow workers, or more literally prove ourselves to be fellow workers with the truth. So, hospitality is a command. Not a gift. Hospitality is a call to love others. Hospitality is a centerpiece of Christian community. Number four, hospitality is a characteristic in which to grow. Hospitality is a characteristic in which to grow. Like every other aspect of the Christian life, we're called to A spirit-empowered striving to grow in obedience to the Word of God, which results in progress toward the image of Christ. That is the Christian life. Another way to say that is that we are practicing hospitality as a growth in sanctification. Said another way, none of us have arrived. None of us are yet perfectly in the image of Christ. We are all in progress, and we are all at different places in that progress, and and sometimes in different places with regard to various Christian um, character attributes in the pursuit of Christ. In other words, in some places, we are remarkably and demonstrably more like Christ than we were when we were first saved, and in other areas, eh... It's a process. It's a growth process for all of us. Nobody has arrived. It's part of the growth in sanctification, the practice of hospitality. Now, this is probably a good place to say this, so let me say it. Hospitality is more than inviting people into your home for a meal. Okay, let me say it again. Hospitality is more than Inviting people into your home for a meal. But it is not less than this. It is not less than this. It is more than this. It is not less than this. In other words, you cannot be genuinely hospitable unless you open your home to other people. I have had the privilege of doing many weddings through the years and love the opportunity to stand before a young couple and kind of launch them with last words. And one of those last words that I always work in to launch them with is this. It is not the size of your home, but the size of your heart that will determine how generous you are in this vitally important ministry. It is not the size of your home. It is the size of your heart. In other words, young people, starting out, I know, your small apartment, don't have much, sitting on milk crates, eating off a of trays. Okay, I understand that. But that is not a governing factor. The governing factor is the size of your heart towards strangers and guests. That will determine how hospitable one shows himself to be. Okay? So that's great to know that because that is liberating. That is incredibly liberating. In other words, there is nobody here, nobody here who cannot, praise the Lord, fulfill God's command to us. Isn't that wonderful? Can we rejoice in that? Amen? Good bet. Because hospitality is the outworking of the transformed life. I've said there are some who have made greater progress than others, but that's that's okay. Nobody's mastered it. Everybody's working at it. Nobody should be content in their progress. We should all be leaning in, striving after, seeking the Spirit's help in excelling still more. Think of Paul's words to the Thessalonians, right? Excel still more. In this soul satisfying endeavor. Now, if you are just starting out, let me suggest to you some practical tips. Practical tips on how to begin a ministry of hospitality through your home. Some of this is old hat to you folks, others, it may be new ideas. So here they are. First off, make a list of the people you want to invite home to your to your home after church. Make a list. Of who who would I like to invite into my home after church so that we might begin to to grow in fellowship together and I might be able to minister perhaps to them and certainly them to me. So make a list. Second. Clean the house and prepare the meal on Saturday. Saturday, put the meal in a freezer, if necessary. OK? You could even cook in advance, a series of meals and freeze them, and have them. Bang. Collect and file inexpensive recipes, ladies. Men, remember, you are ultimately responsible for this, but your wife called to be your helpmate.? All right? Come alongside. So collect and file some inexpensive recipes. Four: purchase a guest book. Purchase a guest book and begin to make a record of those who, in God's grace, have come through your door and into your home. It is incredibly encouraging to look back. I wish we had begun at that very beginning, and, and we didn't. We began more than 20 years ago, and, and the book is a, is a delight to look through. Sometimes we're going, do you know who those people were? No, I don't know either. <laughs> well, we've had tons of missionaries, Come through our home, through the years. Very encouraging. So, suggestions. These aren't commands, by the way, right? These are not commands, but I think I have the Lord's Spirit. These are, these are suggestions. <laughs> Five, be interested in people's lives and plan some questions that will draw them out. The little pre-thought. Think up some questions that cannot be answered with a grunt. So that you can begin to draw people out. Because you know what? Everybody likes to talk about themselves. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. Just find the key. All right. So think ahead of time about that. Six, possibilities for us. Those of us who have been entrusted by the Lord with a larger piece of real estate, more responsibility comes with it. So think about setting aside a prophet's room. A prophet's room a place for traveling missionaries where they could stay when they're in the area or or perhaps a needy college student who can't get home for Thanksgiving something like that okay think about a prophet's room 7 remember that you are not there to entertain this is not entertain when you when your mindset is I'm going to I'm here for entertainment to entertain these guests then there's a whole baggage of stuff that goes with that okay and most of it has nothing to do with hospitality So you're not there to entertain. You are there to invite your guests to participate in your family. Bring them into the family. And the family things, the family conversations. Invite them in. Build relationships. All right. That was fourth. Fifth. Fifth and finally. Fifth and finally. Hospitality is a container... By which we carry the gospel. Hospitality is a container by which we carry the gospel. Hospitality displays and reflects the character of God, it reaches out to unwanted, needy people who cannot reciprocate. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But... When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That is a very convicting statement by Christ. Okay? It flips things on its head. Hospitality opens your life to your friends, neighbors, and co-workers and provides for them a glimpse into what it means to live as a Christian. Many people have no contact with with real and legitimate Christianity. They do not know. They have certain characterizations of it that have been formed by media, but, but real, genuine Christians, they don't know. And so when you invite them into your home, you are inviting them into the most intimate of atm- atmospheres in, in which they can now begin to look and see, what does it mean to live as a Christian? And they watch. Believe me, they watch. Sharing a meal together is a very intimate experience. And it provides a natural place for serious conversation about eternal things. Eating together is a very intimate activity designed that way by God. And so when you break bread with somebody, you have entered into a very intimate and special time and place. And and it's very natural to, to be able to transition to talk about eternity in light of that. Taking a needy person into your home. Now we're kind of up in the ante here, okay? I remember I told you it was, it was costly and you know, all of those things? Yeah. So taking a needy person into your home tangibly demonstrates real care and concern for them as a person rather than merely an evangelistic project. You are now showing care and concern for them as one made in the image of God, a person. It is hospitality, by the way, that stands behind the history of the church's early involvement in care for the poor and the needy. In fact, springing up by the time of the 4th century was the early founding of hospitals and hospices. Same root word. Hospitals, hospices. Same root word. By the Christian church, and it showed a practical way of practicing the principle of hospitality and how it was applied in the form of Christian charity to invalids and weary travelers and so forth. Right? So you can see how it's woven together. All right. Let's do this. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table together. The Lord's table is a marvelous illustration of hospitality. Marvelous illustration. We who were once strangers and aliens separated from God by and in our sin and iniquity, Christ has now invited to eat, to dine together with Him in intimate fellowship, table fellowship in the coming Messiah's kingdom. You understand that? (laughs) We who were once separate have been invited in. To eat together with Christ in His coming here, We join together regularly to remember this promise and proclaim its certainty to one another as a means of grace to rekindle within our souls our passion for Christ. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.